Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and love. And thank you that we have the privilege of knowing you. I pray that you would speak to us in grace and power today. And I pray that you give me clear voice and clear mind and the anointing power of the Holy Spirit and go way beyond anything I can say for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. And I got to give you a little uh, warning today. We do not have any sermon slides working this morning. Technical difficulties. So if you got an old school Bible with you, or if you got a cell phone or an iPad, you might want to look that up, okay? Genesis chapter 16. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever tried to take matters into your own hands? I got this. I can do this. Watch this. Yeah, right? Or, you know what? I've been waiting on God for so long. It doesn't look like God's doing anything. Maybe I need to try it for a while, okay? You ever take matters into your own hands? Well, we could get in trouble taking matters into our own hands. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible never encourages laziness. The Bible doesn't say, blessed are the lazy, okay? In fact, Proverbs chapter 6 says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it gets the job done, okay? Jesus told a parable about these guys with talents. There's a ten-talent or a five-talent man, a two-talent man, a one-talent man, And remember the one-talent man, he buried his talent, did nothing with it, and the master returns and says, you wicked, lazy servant. So the Bible does not encourage us to be lazy. However, sometimes we try to do stuff in our own power and our own strength instead of waiting on and trusting in God. The Bible says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen? But there are times when we take matters into our own hands, when we need to be waiting on God. A lot of people get in trouble when they don't wait on God. It happened in the Bible. Remember Moses? Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses takes matters into his own hands and kills the Egyptian. Didn't work out very well for Moses. Pharaoh is grandfather was so upset, he wants to kill Moses, so Moses runs for his life, spends 40 years out in the desert wilderness. Israel demanded, God, we need a king. God says through Samuel the prophet, you know, you don't. They insisted on it. They got a king. His name was Saul. He wasn't a very good one. Saul took matters into his own hands when he offered the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel, and that didn't work out well for him either. Happens all the time. 
So why do people not wait on God? I think one reason is because we feel self-sufficient. I can do this. Watch this. I got talent. I've got education. I've got experience. I can do this. And we get a little overconfident. Like the little boy who was riding his bicycle up and down the street. He hadn't been riding very long, but he's feeling pretty good about himself. First time he rides past his mom, he says, look, mom, no hands. The second time he rides his bike down the street, he says, look, mom, no feet. Third time he rides his bike past his mom, he says, look, mom, no hands, no feet. He crashes into a mailbox and says, oh, mom, no teeth, okay? We get in trouble. We get overconfident, okay? We think we're self-sufficient apart from God. Uh, Another problem that we have is we get impatient. How many impatient people do we have in the room today? All right, I got some hands shooting up all over the place. We don't like to wait, do we? Nobody goes to Walmart and looks for the longest line. Unless you just want to avoid the self-check, that's okay. I don't care if it's 20 people long, okay? But we don't like that, do we? We get impatient. And sometimes we get desperate. If nothing happens, I'm going to do something even if it's wrong, okay? Well, in Genesis chapter 16, we see someone by the name of Sarai. And Sarai, better known to us as Sarah, is impatient. I think she's feeling a bit desperate. Now, the name Sarai, we know better as Sarah. Sarai means princess or my princess. Sarah means the same thing, princess or my princess. But, but the difference here, if you read on into chapter 17, when God renames Sarai, Sarah, it comes with a promise that you are going to be the mother of kings, the mother of nations. And Abram here is changed. His name is changed in Genesis chapter 17 to Abraham. The name Abram means exalted father. It's a good name. But the name Abraham means father of a multitude. It was part of the promise that God was giving Abraham and Sarah for their offspring. Turn to Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, or Sarah, Abram's, Abraham's wife, had borne him and no children. Now, that could be a pretty big deal in our day. If someone is not able to have children, sometimes that's difficult on us emotionally as well as other ways. And I remember Monique and I got married. I got married late in life, and so did she wasn't as late as I was. She was a lot younger than me, let me clarify that. And uh, still is. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? But anyway, uh, we weren't having kids, so we went to the doctor, and they said, okay, Kevin's the problem, as I usually am. We couldn't have kids. So Monique says, you know, Kevin, we should consider adoption. And I thought, nah, if God wants us to have kids, he'll give us kids. But then I began to pray about it, and uh, 
thought, God's leading us to adopt. And so we adopted Michaela, our daughter, as a baby right after she was born. We were there in the hospital when she was born. She's 17 years old right now. I can't believe that. Senior in high school. The apple of my eye in so many ways. So it can be a big deal for us, even in our society today. But it's nothing compared to the way it was in their society. If you could not have a child in Abraham and Sarah's world, it was considered a disgrace. It was considered to be a catastrophe if you could not have children. And they seem to always blame the women for it. In fact, the men had some rules that they could do if their wife was unable to have children. If your wife could not have children, one thing you could do is divorce her. Okay? They had it right in the contract. You can divorce your wife if she can't have kids. So there was a second, even more drastic thing that they would do, and that was polygamy. If your first wife can't have kids, get a second wife. She doesn't have get a third wife, but you get you some kids, okay? Can't have more wives, it's all right. A third thing that they did in Abraham and Sarah's day was get yourself a concubine, guys. What's a concubine? A concubine was less than a wife, but more than a slave. And you would take a concubine and have children by her. So that's kind of what happens here in Genesis chapter 16. If you remember this story, God promised to make a great nation from Abraham and Sarah, but they still don't have any kids, and they're getting old, really old, way past the normal age of childbearing. So Sarah has a plan. How many of you ever had a plan? I remember when I was 29 years old, I'm like, I'm still single. God's not sending anybody into my life. God, if you don't do something quickly, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. That lasted all about five seconds. Like, I ain't doing that, okay? I'm trusting you, Lord. Verse 1 continues. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. However, she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Now that's a pretty unusual request. Wouldn't you agree? Abraham, go sleep with the maid so you could have some kids. Please. I'm not sure I know a wife who would do that. But remember, totally different culture. Sarah's desperate. She's got to have a child. It's been 13 years since God gave her a promise, and she's getting really old. She's like 90. So she comes up with a plan. Abraham, go sleep with the maid. Go sleep with our servant. You ever come up with a plan? Sometimes our plans don't turn out so well. Like the time when I was four years old. And my brother and I were having a conversation about electricity. He's like six or seven. He said, you know, if I stick this extension cord plugged into this fan on the other side of this wall in the wall socket, that fan will work. I said, no, it won't. He said, yes, it would. I said, no, it won't. And he said, let me try it. 
So he goes around to plug that extension cord in. While he's over there, you know what I do? I pick up that extension cord where it's plugged into the fan cord and I stick it in my mouth. Not a good idea. I literally got the shock of my life. And if you look real closely there, Monty, you can see a scar there to prove it. I remember when I was in the seventh grade. And my cousin was trying to show me how to to ride a motorcycle. He had a little bitty motorcycle, and he was riding me all around the farm on. He said, Kevin, you want to try? I'm a seventh grade teenage boy. Sure. So I get on the motorcycle. He gives me some instructions. But I didn't follow those instructions. Didn't have any uh, back brakes, and I didn't know how to downshift, but I just went flying. Stick it in second gear, stick it in third gear. I don't have a clue about what I'm doing. Guess what? 60 seconds, 12 stitches, and one barbed wire fence later, I found out. I should have listened, okay? You ever try to take matters into your own hand? I can do this. That's what Sarah is doing here, and she's pulling Abraham in, and he is a willing party. Verse 2 continues, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Just so we're clear on this, Abraham's not innocent here. If anybody should have known better, Abraham should have known better. He literally knows God better than anybody else on the planet. He is the man of faith. But he goes along with the plan. Not a good idea, Abraham. Instead of waiting on God, Sarah and Abram took matters into their own hands. You ever get tired of waiting on God? Got a few honest ones. I know sometimes I do. Let's say you're 30 years old and you, you don't have a spouse yet. Don't even have a prospect on the table. But you know, there's a guy by the name of Joe. And he likes you. And you kind of start dating Joe. And he's a nice guy guy and he has a good job but he's not really very interested in the things of the Lord but God I don't have a husband yet so I'll just marry Joe or maybe you're a guy and there's a girl by the name of Sally and Sally's really cute in fact she's beautiful and she's thoughtful and she's kind now, she doesn't want to read the Bible with you, and she won't pray with you, and she doesn't go to church very often with you, but you know what? You can't have everything, so you marry Sally. Or maybe you're 35, 40 years old, and, and you want to have kids, but you're not able to have kids, and, and you tried to adopt, and you're still not able to have kids, but that's all you can think about. You just, just get frustrated, and, and you just... Live your life with that on your mind, and it drags you down. Or maybe you're 45 years old, and you got a job, pretty good job. You make decent money, but you just found out that there is a possibility you could get a, a much better job. You can make $30,000 more per year if you just lie a little bit on your resume and you're willing to make some moral compromises and uh, work every Sunday and not go to church. It's like, uh, 
Or maybe you're 70 or 75, and you didn't take that job. And so now all your friends are retiring, but you cannot retire because you can't afford to retire. Instead of thanking God every day that you have the ability to get out of bed and go to work, you're complaining because you got to work while all your friends are going to the beach. Anyway, it's easy sometimes to get impatient with God and be frustrated and worry and stressed out. Abraham and Sarah's decision. To take matters into their own hands didn't just affect them. It also affected Hagar, obviously. And truth be told, it affected all of human history. Did you know that? Hagar would become the mother of the Arab nations. And the Jews and the Arabs have been fighting ever since. Sin has a ripple effect. You think, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Uh, You probably are. You just don't realize that. That brings us to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. One thing that's encouraging to me here is this. God's showing up on behalf of Abraham even after he'd already messed up. Anybody here ever mess up? All right? Guess what? You're in good company. You're also in bad company. To be honest, you got a whole lot of company, right? Because every single person who's ever walked the face of this planet other than Jesus Christ has messed up. We've all blown it. We've all failed. The Bible says for all, say the word all with me, all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all failed, okay? We're all human. Jesus Christ is the only person who never sinned. Now, not we're not encouraging messing up. We'll get that in a minute. However, when you do mess up, The good news is this, if you're willing to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're willing to confess your sin and turn from your sin and give it to him, God says he will take your sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. Isn't that good news? You don't have to go around beating yourself up over past mistakes and past issues and past sins. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen? 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's good news, is it not? Genesis 17, verse 1 continues. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God. Almighty, El Shaddai. This is the first time the name El Shaddai is used in the Bible. Well, what does El Shaddai mean? We're going through this series on the names of God. Today we're talking about El Shaddai. What does that mean? Well, the word El means God. The most common interpretation of Shaddai is Almighty. So the idea is God Almighty. He's the all-powerful, all-sufficient one. He never looks at a problem and says, that's too big for me, way out of my league, can't handle that. God is all-powerful. 
He knows everything. He can do anything. He can be everywhere at the same time. He never messes up. He never says, oops, my bad. Shouldn't have done that. God never says that. That doesn't mean that God always changes your circumstances. Sometimes when God doesn't change my circumstances, I sure wish he would. How about you? Sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of our sin, and sometimes stuff happens. And it's really not our fault. I mean, it's not your fault. You got cancer. Unless you smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, then, well, maybe it is. It's not your fault you're in that car accident, unless, you know, maybe you were eating a Big Mac with one hand and texting on your phone with the other hand and driving 80 down the interstate. That might have been your fault. But sometimes stuff just happens because we live in an imperfect world. Sometimes life is not fair. Turn to your neighbor and say, life is not fair. It's not. People say things. People do things. People act a certain way, and it affects us, right? But let me tell you who it was really unfair for. Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. He chose to come down to this earth and be treated much worse than unfairly, right? He chose to come to this earth and live a perfect, sinless life and yet be rejected. He chose in the garden when he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. He chose to go to a cross and be mocked and beaten and stripped. And when they're nailing him to the cross... He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many have people in your life who are hard to forgive? We don't want to raise our hand because some of them are sitting in a room, right? <laughs> it's hard sometimes, is it not? It's hard to forgive, yet Jesus forgives us for our sin. Let me be honest with you. While it's true that life is unfair... I don't really want to be treated fairly by God. Do you? Fairness means one day I go to hell. Fairness means I'm separated from God forever and eternity. Fairness means that I'm not forgiven of my sin. And I don't have a personal relationship with the God of this universe. No, I don't want justice for me. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. I want God's forgiving mercy and love. To envelop me. So remember that. When somebody else really doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Remember how God forgave you. And you do likewise to them. God has the power to give you his provision. And he is the God of great compassion. Lamentations 3 tells us that his mercies are new every morning. Aren't you glad? Every morning when you wake up. Think about that. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen? Anybody with me today? All right. Just checking. God is our sustainer and protector. He's able to take your weakness and give you his strength. When you take your inadequate resources and place them in the hand of the Almighty God, He can go way beyond your human ability and supply your need. 
Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus is teaching the multitude? And there are 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 15,000 people in all. We don't really know how many for sure, Tim, but it's a lot. And they've been there all day, and they're getting hungry, and uh, the disciples are like, we need to send these people away so they can get to town and get some food because we're out here in a remote, remote area. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what? We can't feed these people. We got nothing. Jesus says, well, bring me what you got. You remember the story, right? What'd they have? One little boy's lunch. Five little tiny barley loaves. Two tiny little fish. Five hushed puppies and two little bitty bluegill, we might say. It wasn't much. And yet Jesus fed the multitudes. Amen? Go back to verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, it's been 13 years since the birth of Ishmael, and as far as we know, it's been 13 years since Abram's had any special revelation from God. As far as we can tell, Abraham didn't have this ram's horn he picked up every day to hear the audible voice of God. No, in some ways, like us, I think Abraham had to trust God And his promises, even on the mundane days. Anybody here ever have a mundane day? It's just like, just a day. No miracles in sight that I can see. No $20,000 check in the mail. No huge promotion at work. You don't have 15 people coming into your office telling you how amazing you are. It's just a day. I'm serving God, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm just kind of being faithful to God and living out my day. You know, most days are like that. Most days you don't see this incredible circumstance that just happens. Most of the time, what we got to do is be faithful to God on the Tuesdays and Thursdays of life. We got to be faithful to God when we see circumstances changing and stuff happening that's amazing. And when we see things happening the way that they usually happen, but we're trusting in God, we're believing in God, we're looking to God for what He's going to do next, and we'll be faithful to God in the meantime. First one continues. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. The word blameless is translated perfect in the King James. It literally means to be whole. God wanted all of Abraham, not just part of him. God wanted a total commitment. And he still does, right? He wants you to give all of yourself to him. Luke 9.23 says, if anyone wishes to come after Jesus, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. He's not looking for people to follow him when it's convenient. He's not looking for people to follow him on their own terms. He is looking for a people who will follow him flat out, full bore, with every fiber of their being. When the circumstances are amazing and when they're absolutely not. How many of you ever been to the Golden Corral? All right. 
When you go to the Golden Corral, there is a lot of food there. Right, Tim? I mean, this is lots and lots of food. And some of that food, I really like. Some of that food, not so much, right? But when I go to the Golden Corral, guess what? I get to pick and choose. And if I'm really going to get off my diet, I can really enjoy the Golden Corral, right? Chocolate cake, ice cream, fried chicken, French fries. I mean, I'm all in. But following God's not like going to the Golden Corral. Following God is like, here's your plate, son. Here's your plate, daughter. And sometimes it's got broccoli and spinach, mustard greens, cauliflower. Somebody's like, yeah, that's good. Brussels sprouts. Have I hit on anything that somebody doesn't like? God doesn't always give us cake and ice cream. It wouldn't be good for us, would it? No, he gives us life, and sometimes he allows things to happen to us in our lives. But he wants us not to live our lives based on circumstances, but live our lives by faith and trust in him. Because he's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised. I'm going to praise my God even when circumstances don't go the way that I want them to go. It's called a sacrifice of praise. God continues at the end of verse 1 and end of verse 2. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. God reminded Abraham, I have not forgotten my covenant. It had been 25 years since God promised to give Abraham a son and make a great nation from him. And it had been 13 years since Abraham had messed up and Ishmael was born. But God still hasn't forgotten. During the next six verses, verses 3 through 8, chapter 17, God refers to specific terms of his covenant with Abraham. God had not forgotten. Isaac is coming, he says. Not only was Isaac coming, Jesus Christ was coming. And when Jesus Christ came to the world, he made all the difference in the world, did it not? He changed history. He changed your destiny by coming to this earth and dying on the cross and rising from the dead for you. Amen? We serve an awesome God. We serve an incredible God. But sometimes we don't realize how great our God is, do we? Sometimes we look at Him in a way that does not recognize how great He is and how amazing His promises are. I'm reminded of this guy who was fishing. You got a fisherman in the room? Got a couple over there. Got some down here. Got a few more. All right. This guy's out there fishing. And guy was over in the back just kind of minding his own business. He's sitting on a bench, and he just happened to see him. Reeling this fish. It's nice fish. It's like that big. Good fish for eating. 
And the guy, rather than keeping the fish, he throws it back in. Well, about 15 minutes later, guy reels in another really nice fish. He takes it off the hook. He throws it back in. About 15 minutes later, he catches another fish. This one's like the kind I catch. It's about that long. And he takes it off the hook, and he puts it on the stringer because he's going to keep it. And the guy that's watching can't help himself. He says, sir, I don't understand. You had these nice, beautiful fish. It would have been great for eating. And yet, you threw them back. And then you caught one measly little fish about that big, and you kept it. Why? Fishman said, well, my frying pan at home is only about 10 inches wide. I couldn't put those other fish in there. Some of us forget how great our God is. Daniel and Megan getting ready to go to the mission field. Because our God's bigger than E-Town, Kentucky. Some of you are stepping out in faith and following Jesus Christ. And you don't really know what's going to happen. But you don't know this. Your God is bigger than your circumstances. Some of you are going through the most difficult circumstances of your entire life, but you're still trusting in God. You're still believing in Him. You're still following Him faithfully because your God is greater than anything else or anyone else in this life. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be served. El Shaddai is also a name that connects God's mightiness with His nurturing goodness. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 speaks to that when it says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Aren't you glad we serve that kind of God? He's your refuge. He's your fortress. The psalmist says he's an ever-present help in time of your need. He knows everything. He can do anything. And he loves you more than you have the capacity to love. Why would you not want to follow him? You got a better option? There's none available. Follow Jesus Christ.